Well, at last the day has arrived. It's Christmas Day. And all that preparation, and all that leading up, and all that shopping, and all that worrying. Have we got everything? All passed now, isn't it? Now is the day. Now is the hour. We're all looking forward, aren't we? It's a Christmas lunch. Well, I'm going to take a few minutes and stop you from eating your Christmas lunch. I expect many of you, like I have over the last few weeks, had somebody at least say to you, well, Dad, what would you like for Christmas? Always a difficult question and always difficult to respond. What would I like for Christmas? Well, it's a question usually I daughter Sally asks me, and sometimes I think to myself, well, you know, Sally, down the road in Curries, there's a very nice uh, Bang & Olufsen stereo <laughs> unit, and it's on sale. It's half price, and you can get it for just under £5,000. <laughs> That's probably what I think, but probably what I would say is, well... Um, I think I probably need some new slippers, uh, knowing that their bank account is not normally overflowing with resources, or perhaps uh, uh, a new dressing gown, or perhaps even some pyjamas. And, of course, these days, we have places like Primark, don't we, and TK Maxx, and other things that uh, people don't necessarily have to pay Marks and Spencer's prices for. No, we can be... Very kind. And of course, even today, there's that wonderful modern invention, isn't there? The Amazon gift card. <laughs> How helpful it is to buy an Amazon gift card. You can spend it anywhere and buy exactly what you want. And by the way, I did get some pyjamas this Christmas, <laughs> and they were from Marks and Spencer's. <laughs> so my predictions are thrown out the window all of a sudden. But you see, it's a question that is often asked, and we have to often say to ourselves, well, it's not the gift or the value, is it, that really matters? It's, it's the thought that counts. Now, what I'm going to say now, I'm going to say is for the purposes of illustration only. See, I wouldn't want to uh, evoke or inspire feelings of covetousness or greed or possessions or treasures. No, we don't want to that. But just supposing for a moment that it wasn't my daughter that asked me what I would like for Christmas. Just supposing, and I say this is for illustration only, it was someone like, say, Mark Zuckerberg or Jeff Bezos or Richard Branson or Bill Gates. Men who in our terms, of course, have unlimited wealth. They could buy you anything uh, that you would desire in your heart. And I wonder, I wonder whether in response to such a request you would reply, well, thank you, Mark, it's very kind of you, but uh, I've already had this amazing Amazon voucher for £10 and I really feel that, you know, that's more than enough. Now, in true David Hercock fashion... I want you to hold that thought in your mind at this time. We'll come back to it later. So our subject this morning is obviously gifts and giving of gifts and the givers of gifts. Now, of course, we cast our minds back to last Sunday evening and Phil gave us so clearly uh, a wonderful message on the subject of the greatest gift of all. 
Now, don't be surprised, but I haven't got any boxes or, or any sheets, and there isn't a large board here. All I've got is my little book of notes this morning. But I hope that that message went into your hearts and minds and that you indeed remember it, as I hope indeed you might remember this morning's message. Uh, right back early in, I think, late September or early October, Paul said to me, because he's preaching tonight, he said, what are you preaching on? Uh, on Sunday morning, so Christmas Day morning. So indeed, I'd already thought about this wonderful verse uh, from James chapter 1, every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. So our subject obviously this morning is, as I say, going to be gifts, the giving of gifts and the giver of gifts. And I hope that perhaps the thoughts that I have now will help to expand on the wonderful principles that Phil put forward. And I hope... Uh, what we say will perhaps reinforce in your hearts and minds. But first of all, where did the practice of giving presents and other things at Christmas come from? Well, of course, in modern times, uh, the modern sort of style of Christmas that we have really became popular in the 19th century. Prince Albert, of course, brought many of the German traditions. You remember he was the husband of Queen Victoria and the bringing of trees into the home and the decorating and all that really became much more popular in the 1800s than it is today. But surely for us as Christians, uh, we can look back much, much further, can't we? We can look back to that uh, day many years, 2,000 years ago, when those wise men came from the east and they came and they brought presents to Jesus. They bought gifts. Not only were they gifts, but they were symbolic gifts. They were prophetic gifts, weren't they? We should remind ourselves that the gifts were not brought and presented to Mary and Joseph as presents, congratulations on the birth of your firstborn son. What great hopes you have for him. Here are some <laughs> presents. No, these presents were given to Jesus. And they were presented to Jesus. And they presented with a purpose, with a message, weren't they? The first gift of gold was to indeed speak to his kingship. He is the king. And secondly, the gift of frankincense was to recognise his deity. He was the son of God. And thirdly, the gift of myrrh was presented and given to foretell the eventual death, emphasising in many ways his role as saviour, but also the mortality of this unique God-man person, this child that is born, this child that was there before them. And it's just a matter of reflection, isn't it, that in modern times we think more of giving to one another than then we do of bringing gifts and presents to Christ the Lord. <coughs> so let's now turn our attention to this wonderful verse here, verse 17 in James chapter 1. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation 
or shadow of turning. This verse, written by the Apostle James, this verse introduces us to the great God who is the great giver himself, almighty God. And in these just few short words and few short lines, we're given amazing insights, aren't we, and information into the nature, into the characteristic of the greatest of all givers. It's not unreasonable, is it? Or perhaps positively speaking, it's more reasonable to conclude that the term that's used here, the father of lights, this term communicates to us that everything that is not dark, but everything that is light. God is the author of all that is not darkness. Everything represented by light is exemplified by God, isn't it? Integrity, loyalty, honour, compassion, love are all qualities of God. They're all examples of spiritual light. It's also important to note, perhaps, that the physical lights that we have, the sun and the moon, uh, the stars, the planets, the universe, they all owe their existence <coughs> to God, who is the Father of lights. And just as I was preparing and thinking about these things, it suddenly came to me, the order of creation. Now, science tells us that the Earth is held in place uh, and rotates around the sun because the sun is the centre of our universe. But you know, the Bible has a different take on that, doesn't it? The truth of the fact is that the earth was created well before the sun and the moon. And so how is it that the earth indeed rotates around the sun when there was no sun? Well, Hebrews tells us this, doesn't it? It says that uh, it was through the Lord Jesus Christ who created and maintained and sustained everything. So we need to look at the scriptures carefully. But indeed God has provided the sun and the moon. He's provided the sun to give us light and uh, to provide nourishment, to provide the means through which the plants grow. He's provided the weather systems, the atmosphere in which we live. God does not merely, merely process and possess love and light but the Bible tells us and it's a great truth isn't it that God is light you see these qualities of love and light if we look at it uh, that he possesses them then they could be taken away but the truth of the matter is that as he is light and as he is love these things make him truly the originator of all the lesser lights all the lights that there is in the world and then in that verse we see that he is the father of lights and we learn further with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. There is no variation. This great God, the revealed to us in the scriptures, is an unchanging God. He is both unchanging and unchangeable. He will never change is a great truth and he is never changing in either his nature or his purposes Paul writes to the Corinthians he says this 
uh, for the gifts and the call of God are irrevocable. They're unchangeable. And we might also think of the Father of Lights being the author of every good and perfect gift. And this time from the words of the Lord Jesus Christ himself concerning the good gifts. He says in these recorded for us in the Gospel of Matthew, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give what is good to those who ask him? In some ways it's almost sufficient, isn't it? To sit and meditate on those amazing thoughts and those amazing words that every good and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. We are changeable, aren't we? Our thoughts, our opinions, our attitudes, our moods, we change from day to day and from hour to hour. And sometimes it's very difficult for us to consider the nature of the great God who is the great giver. On Thursday evening, as Daniel led us in prayer, we were reminded, weren't we, of the greatness of the God to whom we come. And so as Phil brought these wonderful truths to us last Sunday, he focused, didn't he, on the gift of the baby Jesus. Uh, the baby Jesus who grew up, and as a man offered his life on the cross, he took upon himself the guilt and the punishment of our sin and opened up the gate to eternal life in heaven. But you see, to make all this possible, there were, in a sense, preconditions. There were things that had to be done in order for things to happen as they did. And these things that had to be done and the things that were necessary we can class as many other great gifts that God the Father has given. And perhaps the first great gift that we can look at is the creation of the world in which we live. We've already referred to the fact that creation of the earth, heavens and the earth was the very first act recorded for us of Almighty God as he begins to put his plans and purposes into position. You see, why a world? Well, we need a world, don't we? Without a world to live in, human beings could never have been created because we cannot exist in the vacuum of space, can we? And surely as we think about this, those very first words, in the beginning, well, they take on something of a new meaning, don't they? In the beginning, before anything else, God provided the environment in which salvation could be accomplished. You see, in those days of creation, many things took place, and particularly we can focus on that day six. You see, we read in Genesis chapter one, don't we, that on the day six, at the end of the day, God saw everything, and he saw that it was good. Indeed, we're told it was not only good, the scripture says it was very good. And of course, at that precise moment, it was not only very good, but it was very perfect. Sin had not entered into the world. So right at the beginning, a good and a perfect gift appears from Almighty God and our Father in heaven. 
Also, that sixth day is also uh, very significant in that uh, having created the environment, uh, God brings forth the great gift of human life, of human life. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Man, of course, means men and women. And man, as a species, is God's highest creation. The Bible tells us, doesn't it, that man has been created a little lower than the angels. He's been given dominion, that means power and rule and authority, over all the rest of creation, which makes man, of course, superior to anything else that God has created. That's a wonderful thought, isn't it? And sadly, we have not carried out faithfully uh, that work, that authority, that power that God has granted to us. We see the great panic that's taking place in the world over the loss of environment, over the loss of species which God created. The great panic that's taking place over the change in the climate and the things that are happening. But we shouldn't panic because all these things are in God's hands. But you see, far and above all this dominion, God has granted to man the facility and the opportunity of having a personal relationship with his creator. You see, this is a facility and a, a possibility. It's unequaled or unparalleled in all the creation, in all the things that God has created, in all the universes. Only man has the ability we are rational beings, aren't we? We have the power to reason. And one of the great gifts in his creation is to grant every man, every being coming into this world a conscience. There is in every man, woman and child in this world uh, that peace, if you like, that sense that responds to the nature of Almighty God. It tells us about good and evil, about right and wrong. Our conscience can be troubled, can't it? We can have anxieties. Uh, it can be at peace. And true peace only comes when we come to know our Creator as our Saviour. A conscience granted to everyone. You see, you and I stand here, well actually I'm the one standing, you're the one sitting. But you and I stand here today because we have been brought by this great gift, we've had the breath of life uh, breathed into us by the power of the Spirit of Almighty God. We think seriously about these things, although we take these things so easily, so much for granted. Why are we here? Is often the question asked by philosophers. Well, we are here, aren't we? That uh, we might bring glory to the God who created us, and that we might enjoy him forever. And that is, was his plan, and is his plan, for those that he draws to himself. And so the third great gift, as the time is passing, the third great gift is the gift of the Saviour. And perhaps in a broader sense, rather than the focused sense that Phil brought to us, the gift of a Saviour had many roles, had many effects. You see, uh, the Saviour was, first of all, a substitute. 
He stood in our place. He has the role of the mediator. He stands between God, the Father, the Almighty, the one who has created us. He stands between us and God. And it is his work as saviour, as substitute, as mediator, it is his work to reconcile us to God. We sing a hymn by a man, William Vernon Hyam, and he describes this work so clear, concisely when he says, Great is the gospel of our glorious God, where mercy met the anger of God's rod. A penalty was paid and pardon bought and sinners lost at last to him were brought. The Saviour, of course, as we have heard and learned, was identified as Jesus Christ, the Lord, the baby born in Bethlehem. And this, of course, was announced by those herald angels on the hillside to the shepherds who were keeping watch over their sheep. And so that message has come down through the generations, through the many thousands of years, since that great event. You see, as the Saviour has reconciled us to God through his death on the cross, through his recorded resurrection from the dead, and his ascension to heaven, he now sits at the right hand of the Father, having completed the work of redemption, having completed the work of salvation. So what a great gift the third gift is. And then the fourth gift is that of the scriptures, the Holy Bible. The revelation, aren't they, of Almighty God to his creation, written by his own instruments as his spirit breathes into them the words of Holy Scripture. You see, we read some words earlier from Hebrews 10, but at the beginning of that letter, the writer puts it like this, God who at various times, in various ways, spoke to us in times past to the fathers by the prophets. But it goes on to say, doesn't it, but now God has sent his Son, Christ Jesus, has been revealed. We know, don't we? And we hope we know that the Bible contains all truth. It contains truth about God, truth about his plans, his purposes, Uh, not only for the salvation but for his creation truth about the manner in which his will and his purposes will be, have been, are being will be accomplished and fulfilled his will is unchangeable as we heard his will is uh, fixed for eternity and of course the Bible tells us about the one, the agent through whom this accomplishment and this fulfilment will take place. And that one we celebrate his birth today, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, now I've specified just four, perhaps, of the many, many, many great gifts, the good and the perfect gifts that come down from our Father, our changeless Father in heaven. And there are, of course, many, many more, aren't there? We could consider and wonder at the gift of faith to believe in the great fact, isn't it, that the grace and mercy of God has been extended to men and women. We could marvel, couldn't we, at the daily presence 
the gift of the presence and the aid of the Holy Spirit to guide and lead us. And perhaps importantly, we can reflect and thanks for the great gift of a place in heaven prepared for us, a promise confirmed by the Saviour, Jesus. Remember, he prayed to the Father. It's recorded there in John 17. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me should be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. And we remember too earlier, hadn't we, that he had said to his disciples, I go to prepare a place for you, that you may be with me where I am. What a promise, what a gift there is. What wonderful news, what a blessing the scripture is to us. Well then, here comes the big question. What's our reaction? And perhaps more importantly, what's our response to the news of all these good and perfect gifts? Well, let me take you back to the thought that I said you should hold in your mind. Any kind of tell me what that thought was? See, just like David Hercock, you've forgotten it already. <laughs> that great gift was, that great thought was, what if unlimited wealth, unlimited gifts were offered to you? What would your response be in that case? You could have a private jet, couldn't you? Or you could have your own private island. Or you could have your own private yacht. It wouldn't, wouldn't touch the resources, but you know... Aeroplanes break down. There could be an undersea earthquake and the island disappearing to the depth of the sea. Or there could be an incredible storm and your, rock, your yacht capsizes and disappears. Now you see, it's true to say that everything in this life, everything without exception, has no eternal benefit. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ put it like this himself, and very concisely too. He says, what will it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his own soul? We were talking yesterday to Georgia. She'd been studying Dr Faustus, and we know all about that story a man who was prepared to sell his own soul to the devil for wealth and power. So let me close now by bringing an illustration to you. We're all going to perhaps this afternoon sit round the Christmas tree. Perhaps some have already done so. And there in front of the Christmas tree, what can we see? A large pile of presents. <sighs> a large pile of presents. Some large some small, different shapes, some round, some square, some are soft, some are hard, and their minds are going round and round wondering what on earth can be and what of those great pile of presents is going to come to me, aren't we? And so one by one the presents are distributed, they're given out, the paper is torn off and the present is revealed and there's often laughter and there's often happiness. But then you see, we come to the situation where another present is given. And again, uh, the wrapping is torn off. There's a box. The box is opened. A gift is taken out. It seems quite an expensive and a, an unusual gift. And then after a few seconds, however, the gift is thrown to the floor. 
and it's jumped on, it's stamped on, it's broken in many pieces. And the pieces are gathered up and they're thrown at the giver, along with a torrent of ungrateful abuse. There's a stunned silence, a stunned silence. And then outrage breaks out, doesn't it? Condemnation is aimed at the perpetrator. If it was a child that did this, surely there would be severe discipline exercised. And if it were an adult, it would be even worse, wouldn't it? Because adults are accountable for their behaviour. There would be repercussions. And I'm sure that none of you gathered here today would approve, but we would condemn such an action outright. So then, what's our response? What's our response to the many gifts of God that we've considered today? You see, it may sound unpleasant to say, but there are millions and millions of people who are responding to God's gift in exactly that way. (coughs) And sadly... And I say it lovingly, there may even be some here today who are treating God's gifts in this terrible, ungrateful, rebellious way. There are those who continue even learning about these great gifts, continue acting in an ungrateful manner, deliberately rejecting the many good and perfect gifts that come down from our Father in heaven. You see, as you talk to people, they say many things to appease that conscience that God has given them. But the truth is, isn't it, that any excuse or any reason that they may use to justify uh, their rejection of God and his gifts, that they have no measure, no worth. To use a modern phrase, they don't cut the mustard with God. No, these things are dealt with so badly you see these good and these perfect gifts are offered freely aren't they they're offered without cost to you we know that in this particular year the rise in the cost of living and that any gifts that have been given this year have been far more costly than previous years Uh, but this great gift these great gifts these many gifts were brought by a very costly sacrifice what did we read in Vernon Hyam's line a penalty was paid a penalty was paid and a pardon bought so friends if we are ungrateful so rebellious so dismissive of God's goodness is it any wonder that the Bible speaks of judgment and eternal punishment in the lost of You see, a parent would deal with a child who was so rebellious, so disrespectful, so dismissive of the things that have been given. And so it is with our Heavenly Father. He offers these gifts freely. He offers (coughs) eternal life, that great gift of a hope of an eternity with him. (coughs) And so we have to say, friends, are you hearing the call of the great gospel of our glorious God? I and many others, of course, are praying that there will be those who will be turned from their ungrateful, selfish rebellion and that they will come and seek and receive the gift of salvation and find the peace 
and the reconciliation that is provided through the work of the one who came as a babe in Bethlehem and who is even now seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. May God help us today to appreciate the importance and the value and the necessity of receiving that great gift of salvation. Amen.